Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I was a music-loving skateboard kid from a small town in Indiana, and so to me the internet was about this access to culture. What's the opportunity in all of this for a company like LVMH, which hasn't really been known for having a strong digital um, disposition. Software is uh, is craftsmanship. I love that. Software. It's true. Code is like craftsmanship. It definitely is. It really is craft. It is metier. The industry has to decide which which one are you. Are you building right. software as craft, or are you building software because you have to? And you have to build it with the same care that you that you build a leather bag or a champagne. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF Podcast. On this week's episode of Inside Fashion, I sit down with Ian Rogers, Chief Digital Officer of the world's largest luxury goods company, LVMH, based here in Paris. And this week in Paris, it's all about technology. It's the Viva Technology Summit, one of the world's largest gathering of technology professionals in the world, attracting the likes of Google, Facebook, and yes, LVMH. I sat down with Ian to talk a little bit about his personal journey, how he ended up in computer science and technology in the first place, and through his storied career, which took him to Silicon Valley, working for companies like Yahoo, Beats by Dr. Dre, and eventually Apple before he moved here to Paris. Paris is not only the home of luxury, it's increasingly trying to position itself as a technology hub, which is why my conversation with Ian is so interesting because he is operating right in the heart of the world's largest luxury goods company, but also trying to modernize it with technology and digital innovation. So without further ado, here's Ian Rogers, Inside Fashion. Good afternoon, Ian Rogers. How are you, Emma? Nice I'm, to see you. I'm good. We're like sitting in this enclosed booth. It's sort in of the, space age. It's slightly space age. It's in the middle of this massive exposition space in the 15th arrondissement in Paris. Do you want to tell me where we are right now? And like, So we are in the Porte de Versailles. It's um, in the convention center here. 
Um, I took the 12 Metro down here this morning, and it's it's this massive Viva technology. You know, it was originally done by Publicis and, and Les Echo. Three years ago was the was the first one. Right. I think there were 5,000 startups here then, which seemed like a lot. This yeah. year there are 8,000 startups. Last year yeah. there were 60,000 people. This year they're expecting 80,000 people, and I think that actually the. It, it, after the first one, uh, the, I had to kind of figure out, like, wait, what made it good? Because it was really good. And I think it was two things. One, there's this curation aspect to it. It's not a pay-for-play. If you're a startup, you can't just, like, pay the fee and get a booth. Right. Um, instead, they have sponsors like LVMH and uh, Orange and um, Air France and a bunch of people. They, they, they pay for the booths. And then they select the startups. Okay, so for it. us, we put the call out. We had 800, more about 825 startups uh, applied in total, um, which is 60% more than we had last year. I was, I was surprised, actually. And then we, since our name's on the booth, you know, we narrow it down to, sure. to 30 that we think are, are good in the space. So right. we don't necessarily have any relationship with them other than, than that they applied for our award. But we definitely have an interest in making sure that the startups in our booth are, you know, are worth seeing. Yeah, right? and earlier today, Mr. Arnaud was here with uh, Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, and you're, we're just about to see the arrival of Mark Zuckerberg. So lots of Correct. big tech companies from all around the world. Yeah, and Satya Nadella was on stage earlier today. From, and, um, Google. Uh, no, from oh, Microsoft. From, from Microsoft. Yeah. And Arthur Sadoun, who is uh, the who's succeeded, um, he's actually the third ever uh, CEO of Publicis, which is kind of amazing, 90 right. years, three right. three CEOs. Um, so yeah, it's a, they've really attracted a, a, a pretty incredible lineup. I think, you know, I mean, France is definitely having a moment. You, know, yeah. you can think of Shoreditch, what was it, five, six, seven years ago, yeah. or New York, maybe 10 years ago, or, you know, there's been this kind of moment in time when, you know, capital flows in and, and you know, startups, uh, startups start setting up. Yeah, you know? but Ian, it's a long way from where you're from. That's true. And I did, want to, spend a, I did want to spend a few minutes just introducing you to some of our listeners who may not know your story, which is kind of an amazing one. So you grew up in... Indiana. Indiana. In Indiana, northern yeah. Indiana, about four hours uh, east of Chicago. Right. And then? I went to, I studied computer science. Well, I had a kid when I was 17. Okay. Um, I met I, your daughter, actually. I barely, she's 27 now. Okay. Um, I barely made it out of Goshen, Indiana. I was destined to live in a trailer park and work at Walmart. Um, but I instead went to college and studied computer science. And I, I, it was lucky. I, you know, I started college in 1990 and graduated in 1994. And it was the birth of the web. Um, Why computer moment. science? Yeah, I, had, I had played with computers as a kid. Yeah. And um, I actually did my first year of college studying elementary education. And, but I was tutoring friends who had computer homework. And it was actually my, step, my stepdad, my former stepdad, who said to me, you know, you should change your major. You know, you, you, you're gonna need, you're, you have a kid, you're going to need a job, and you should make some money. So I, I remember I walked into the guidance counselor's office, and I, and I declared my major computer science. And she handed me her business card and said, email me. And I said, I will. But I had no idea what she meant. I had never heard of email before. It what was year was this? 1991. Okay. So I did. I figured it out. I went to you like... You got your email address? Got my email address from 1991. the university. 1991. And I went to the like, you know, the, well, I don't remember what it was called, then the recycler basically, where you bought used stuff. And I bought a used, you know, IBM clone with a monochrome monitor pre-web and I discovered Usenet and for me that was the first time in my life that I had, had met people who liked the same music as me and you know I was a music loving skateboard kid from a small town in Indiana and so to me the internet was about this access to culture it was about you know right. um, I think which is 
you know, now we're, we're almost on the other side of it, you know, um, in terms of, in 1995, it was all promise. Um, you know, it was going to break down the silos and, and it definitely has, it's made us more tribal um, in good ways. You know, we now can find people who are like us all over the world, but then there's also the bad aspects of that too, where, you know, fake news meddles in yeah, which elections, is, which is you know. which is what Mark Zuckerberg's been talking about a lot here in Europe. This exactly, week. which uh, and and he should be. Right. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure that he is a hundred percent honest when he says he never imagined that he would be in this position. Yeah, you know, I was at this thing a few weeks ago in LA, and we spent a bunch of time with him talking about the whole situation. And um, anyway, that's what that's, was his take? What, what well, he mean? basically, you know, the same take. It was, you know, we never imagined this would happen, and we clearly haven't done enough. Right. to prevent it. So we're hiring like thousands or tens of thousands of people to help us solve these problems. They all can't be solved by machines, but yeah. I think some people... Here's a question. If Mark Zuckerberg what, didn't invent Facebook, do you think he would have deleted his Facebook account by now? I think he probably would. Have you seen that little t piece of tape that he puts on exactly. the top of his computer? Exactly, so he's, right? in a way, as distrusting of technology as many of us yeah. are. Yeah, I think that's uh, an in interesting case, point. That's a digression. So from university, computer science, you got into the music business yeah, early I, on. How did that happen? You know, I, I, um, I started doing, I started building websites. I mean, the, the, the short version is I, I pre-web, uh, I, I did a lot of music stuff on the internet. I was just as a fan. And I took one of those things, the Beastie Boys Frequently Asked Questions list, and I moved it to the web. Um, I'd also been doing research on streaming music at the university. so. I was, you know, I was a music fan and studying computer science, so I just sort of constantly put I, the two together. You combined them. But the Beastie Boys thing is what gained me some notoriety on the web. There were not that many people on the web. I'm an obsessive person, so I had a pretty interesting website. Even if you didn't like the Beastie Boys, it was probably the site that somebody sent you and was like, check this thing this out. This is cool. This is crazy. Yeah. This guy's nuts. Um, and one, I, one of the calls I got was from their manager, and he hired me to work with the Beastie Boys and all of the rest of their bands. And, you know, really that manager and that band are still some of my very best friends. Um, so I just got lucky and, and kind of fell into it with, um, with those guys. And then, you know, I had opportunities that came from that. I, I met some other people. I mean, you know how it is. You, you get into it, you meet other people. I met this guy in LA who was an incredible creative director and he had a creative vision for web design which today seems pedestrian, but at the time, there was no such thing as web design. Right. There were no background colors, right? You couldn't put text down the side of an image, but he had a vision of what the web would become. Right. But he was a graphic designer. He made album covers and poster art. His name's Jim Evans, and if you've ever seen these posters that say Taz at the bottom of them, he's that artist. And so I joined him, and we built one of the first web design companies, kind of, you know, at the same time as Razorfish and Spray and those Sapient was kind of companies. Yeah, and I think and I think we were pre-Sapient. Oh, really? We started we started uh, end of '94, beginning yeah. of '95. Yeah, okay. Um, and and we and we did that for a while. But then I I, I kept pursuing the digital music thing. Um, I was part of a company in the late 90s called Nullsoft. We made Winamp, which is a popular MP3 player. I used player. to use Winamp. That was us. It was really like Simple. green digital writing. You know? If you played MP3s in the late yeah. 90s, you probably used Winamp. Totally, right? um, yeah. And we had a streaming technology called Shoutcast. Uh, we sold that company to, to AOL in May of 1999. And then two of us, there were only four of us at, at Nullsoft, and two of us left, and the other two were investors. 
in a new company that was sort of a web-based version of Winamp, which we sold to Yahoo in, in 2003. Um, and I stayed at Yahoo for a long time. An, an incredible um, mentor of mine w had brought me into Yahoo, um, Dave Goldberg. Uh, he was actually Sheryl Sandberg's yeah. uh, husband. And I worked for Dave for a while. And when Dave left Yahoo, I took over Yahoo Music. And that was a really interesting business at the time. We had the number one music video service pre-YouTube, the number one radio service called LaunchCast um, pre-Pandora. Um, and we also had the first $5 a month all-you-can-eat streaming service with Yahoo Music Unlimited. Um, so, I mean, there are reasons why those things were beaten by the, by the others, which right. um, is, a, is a, probably a podcast unto itself. But, um, you know, that was, that was a great run. So later, when um, Jimmy Iovine was interested in spinning a software company out of Beats Electronics, um, I joined Jimmy and Luke and Dr. Dre and Trent Reznor in spinning that out of Beats Electronics. It's called Beats Music. I was the CEO of Beats Music. And then we sold Beats and Beats Music to Apple and built Apple Music and Beats One, which is the radio program there that I'm super proud of with uh, a guy from the BBC named Zane Lowe. Um, and, you know, stuck around there for, uh, for a year and then got this call from Ben Arnaud and LVMH and moved to Paris. And that brought you here to the heart of this huge exposition where, you know, LVMH for the first time, you know, since your arrival has really started to place itself right in the center of the world of technology. Um, so I did, I wanted to talk to you a bit about like what you think is happening here in France. You said, you know, France is having a moment and mm -hmm. I, I had a, an opportunity to go to the Elysee Palace during Fashion Week last season and talked a bit with the president about you know his goal to make France this place that welcomes everybody, which is kind of, it's a big change from the kind of attitude that France has had before. But what does France offer to entrepreneurs now? Well, you know, first of all, a lot of entrepreneurs come from France. There are these incredible universities here. And I think a challenge that they've had is that a lot of those um, students want to move to America or, or, or China or, you know, a bigger market, right? If you've got a startup idea, um, you know, I think it's a real question of why would you start it in not just France, but Europe? You know, Europe is not a market the same way that the U.S. is a market of more than 300 million people. Europe, unfortunately, is not a market of more than 300 million people. Even though it is more than 300 million people, there are different countries, there are different languages, there are different tax laws, there are different, you know, shipping, VAT, all this, you know, type of things that are a real, you know, it actually gives the big companies an advantage because they have the capital and the time to invest in Europe, where a startup may not, right? It's, it's actually, in many ways, smarter for a startup to start in the US or China. So I think part of it is, is making, um, you know, giving incentives for people to be here and to make this not only a good place to start a company, but a good place to stay and scale a company. And, that, and that's pretty difficult. And I think it's actually difficult for Macron himself to change that, because I think it, it requires there to be a Europe um, and unfortunately, that doesn't, you know, feel like it's it's moving the right direction. Um, so I, I think that that you know, I, I was I'm, I met Emmanuel Macron here at Viva Technology last year, and he said, "I'm glad you're here." And at first, I thought he meant here at Viva Technology, and then I realized he meant here in France. Yeah. Um, and and he said, "What do you make of the environment here?" And I said, "I think this would be a very hard place to start a company." Yeah. And I was just being honest. I yeah. knew I had 30 seconds with him and yeah. wanted to say something meaningful. And uh, he said, I agree, and I want to fix that. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, the, the great thing is, is that there's a lot of investment coming into France now. I think the entrepreneurs do want to stay here. They want to build here. And I think the job of everyone here, Emmanuel Macron, 
Bernard Arnault, the others who are here at LVMH, Xavier Niel and Station F and Col 42 and you know all of these things are to me they're about building the infrastructure that you need to maintain it long term. Yeah. Because it's that ecosystem that they have in the Silicon Valley that enables it all to work, right? It's the capital, it's the education, it's you know, it's the exactly. talent. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person, too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. (coughs) Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Exactly. What's the biggest challenge do you think here? Well, they, they in terms of that increasingly, they, they definitely have talent. Yeah. Increasingly, they have capital. So I think that, that you need to get to, you've got to get into the labor laws, which are very difficult. You know, people are striking in the streets uh, this week, you know, because of the changes that Macron is making. So that's a, you know, it's not a, it's not a problem that you can just change overnight, you know. Um, and uh, but then there's other things. I think you have to change the way debt works. Um, you have to, you know, so that it, it doesn't cost you too much to take a risk. Um, and, you know, so actually um, Tony Fidel, who was the inventor of the iPod and one of the people on the team for the iPhone, he actually moved to Paris as well two years ago. And Did he, you know him from the Valley? I didn't. We actually met on the first day of our kids starting school um, at, at, the, at one of the schools here. Uh, but we've become friends over the last two years and, and talked a lot about this topic because we're both passionate about it. He actually solicited a list of why wouldn't you invest in a company in France from, from, from uh, investors in Silicon Valley? And he created, he crafted a pretty thoughtful list of very, you know, tractable things. They're not things like, you know, short work weeks or, you know, they're not, it's no, he, the, you know, people are lazy. That's not on the list. Those are, those are subjective, you know. Uh, That's you know. France's reputation. And that, in, in, in my experience, it's not real. Um, I, I think it, it, so. He made a list of things that are changeable, right? That from these investors, and we passed it along to the administration. Um, so I think that they're, they are all fixable. They're not all easy to fix, right? Because you know, I mean, I think if you and I took over as president, how much would we be able to get done in five years? You know, I mean, I'm sure it's not easy. Well, um, because but, just the mere fact that he was able to create, come out of nowhere in this party that was. Um, didn't even exist a year and a half ago shows that the guy's got some serious chutzpah. Right. And if, you know, if there's someone, you know, at least he seems to at least have the right attitude. Yeah. What's the opportunity in all of this for a company like LVMH, which hasn't really been known for having a strong digital um, disposition, might I call it? Well, I think the thing to remember is that LVMH is a holding company, um, and it not only has these luxury brands, but it also has investment interests. Um, you know, uh, Group Arnaud, Aglay, El Catterton, LVMH Luxury Ventures. So there's certainly, um, you know, a lot of possibilities when you just look at uh, Aglay as an example, which is a investment fund that's focused on France and focused on early stage. So you know, these changes definitely have, you know. Uh, like that, that's that's good for them, and I think right. that, that it works in concert with what with what Macron is doing to focus on France and focus on early stage. Um, but I think also, you know, one of the things that that I'm doing on my team and kind of my core premise when I you know met the the Arnauds and remember that that Bernard Arnaud, Alexandre Arnaud, Frederick Arnaud, these they're engineers, right? Right. Um, you know, is that software is uh, is craftsmanship, you know, and increasingly I love that. Software, it's true. Code is like craftsmanship. It definitely is. I mean there's a a an incredible engineer is worth a hundred mediocre engineers. Yeah. You know. Um, it really is craft. It is metier. And increasingly, you know, whether you like it or not, the software sits between us and our customers. 
You know, so it's not that IT is this back office thing that you know that the customers don't see. Um, you know, whether it's uh, looking at your website or um, maybe sending email or WhatsApp or WeChat back and forth with a sales associate. You know, I mean. Um, looking at, at, at an app, whether it's your app, Imran, or the Netaporte app, or the 24-7 app, you know, I mean, you know, we, we have software um, sitting between us and our customers, and, you know, let's, let's face it, the, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between Uber, which is a pretty pleasant-to-use app in terms of user interface and et cetera, and then, you know, like that piece of software that came with your, um, with your digital camera. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that was on a CD-ROM. Exactly, and and so you know the industry has to decide which which one are you? Are you building right. software as craft, or are you building software because you have to? Right. No, you're building it as craft, and you have to build it in house, and you have to build it with the same care that you that you build a leather bag or a champagne. Right. Um, so looking ahead a bit, because I know we have to run shortly, because mm -hmm. Mr. Zuckerberg's Mr. Zuckerberg's about to arrive, but you know. You guys announced this uh, in big investment in List today, and um, I'm just curious. Like, you know, you talked about the kind of various you know investment entities that the group is involved with, but also you know LVMH is now taking a much stronger focus itself in directly investing in businesses. You know, what what do you think? You know, if 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 software is craft, if code is craft, like how does that start to change the way the group might look in like 10 years from now? Well, I, I think that you do end up having software as one of the things that you're really capable of doing, yeah. um, as opposed to outsourcing um, that because it's something that you that, that you that you need to do. Um, but I also think that, you know, I, I think you mentioned the list investment and you know, I, I put that in a slightly different category, and that's more about about where the growth is going to come from in the business over the next 15 years. The fashion and luxury business. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, not necessarily the craft of product creation, but kind of more of the go-to-market side. You know, and if you so think about so the strategy about, there was more about investing in a new channel as opposed to just the the core technology itself. Yeah, I think if you look at the way that um, the way that we build awareness and the way that we sell fundamentally changing, right? So the way that we grew the business the previous 15 years is going to be different, or the way that we grow it in the next 15 years will be different than the way we grew it those previous 15 years. And I think the list investment is more us getting, of us saying, hey, let's, let's, um, let's be a part of that. Let's not wait for it to happen and then adapt. Let's actually, you know, keep our hands on the steering wheel and, and try to drive. Um, you know, and I think when you look across the spectrum, Brands will sell direct to customers. We will, um, you know, we will use uh, our customers. Will uh, use boutiques, whether it's the Porte or Twenty Four Seven or Matches or Essence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, they'll also use marketplaces, whether it's Tmall or Farfetch or, or other, and and they'll and they'll use search. You know, all of these. It's not an either or. This is not a zero sum game. You know, customers will drive. And, uh, and we want to be a part of defining the best uh, experiences for them. Um, you know, I think we're moving toward a world where, you know, you might go to Amazon to buy batteries or razor blades. We'll go to Skyscanner to buy plane tickets. We'll go to um, Booking.com for hotel rooms. And then where do you go for fashion? You know, I mean... So I that's what you see the role of List as, is kind of a fashion search engine. That's exactly what it is. Okay. Um, Unfortunately, this is going to be an appended, slightly shorter version of Inside Fashion 
this week because um, we started a bit late and we're on a tight schedule. I apologize, it's but my, no, my fault. No, well, it just means you're gonna be coming to London more because you're sitting on the board of list now. That's true. So I, you owe me another 45 minutes of your time so that I can pick your brain some more. Anytime, it's a pleasure. Um, but thank you for taking the time to speak. Uh, so this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion, and I'm bidding you farewell from a little booth in the middle of the Paris Exposition a Center. A little booth. A hot booth in a hot expo center at a hot event with a hot person <laughs> in a hot industry. Um, well, I'll stop there. That's just enough. Um, but um, thanks all for tuning in, and make sure you come back to us next week for the latest episode of Inside Fashion. If you enjoyed this conversation with Ian Rogers, you might be interested in BOF Professional, our global membership community from the business of fashion, which keeps you up to date on everything you need to know that's happening in the global fashion industry. I read it from your email that you send me every morning, and you know I scan through that thing with my thumb, um, usually on the metro, and, uh, and try to figure out the things that I, that I need to read today. Uh, and, and I read it really to, to stay up on this business. I mean, I'm relatively new to this business and you know, I'm, I might need more education than some. I love the approach. I love the, the straightforwardness of the, of the way that, that you write the articles. I love how accessible it is. It's, you know, it comes into my inbox, it's just a click away. And in you know, just a few minutes, I feel like you know, on, my, on my way to the office, right? I'm, I'm up on the stories of the day and if, uh, you know, someone stops me in the hall and asks me a question. I'm, 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 I'm like, I feel informed. For a limited time only, we are offering our BOF podcast listeners an exclusive 25% discount on an annual BOF professional membership. To get 25% off your first year of an annual membership, click on the link in the description, select the annual package, and then enter the invitation code PODCAST2018 at the checkout. I hope you enjoy it. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.